Okay, good morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're new here, my name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors. Just want to say a special welcome, especially if you came to view somebody getting baptized today. Thanks for being here in support of them. I know it means a lot to them. It means a lot to us as a church. And so if there's anything we can do for you while you're here, please let us know. We'd love to connect with you at any point. Uh, We're going to be in the last book of the Bible, if you have a Bible in front of you. If you did not bring a Bible, no sweat, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. But we're going to look at Revelation chapter 14. While you're turning there, let me just remind you, we have several empty shoeboxes up here. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, this is part of a ministry called Samaritan's Purse Operation Christmas Child, where we fill these shoeboxes with things for children around the world, and then they get sent off uh, along with the gospel to people literally all over the globe. And, and it really is a, a, an awesome opportunity to reach somebody in a different country from where you're at right now. And so if you wanna participate in that, all of the details or instructions are inside. Just grab one of those empty boxes before you leave today. This is the last week we're gonna have the empty boxes out. Uh, we need to make room for the filled boxes that are coming back in. So if you want one, today is the day to grab them. Also, our Thanksgiving outreach, we had about 25 people sign up so far to provide a Thanksgiving meal. This is very simple. Uh, You register at the table in the fellowship area that says Thanksgiving outreach, and then we connect you to a family in the community who is requesting help with providing Thanksgiving dinner. And then there's seven items that you go out and buy that we have a paper that tells you exactly what you need to purchase. You don't have to cook it, you just take it and deliver it to the family that we assign you to. So if you have questions about that or want to help, please let us know, we'd love to get you connected there. That should have given you time to find Revelation chapter 14. Uh, What we normally do here is I read the text and then we pray and then we get into the message together. So I'll read starting in verse six of Revelation 14. Then I saw another angel flying overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another, a second angel followed saying, it has fallen, Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine for sexual immorality which brings wrath. Verse nine, and another, a third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the lamb and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name This calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. Would you pray with me as we consider this text? Father in heaven, we come now to these daunting words of Revelation chapter 14. We come now face to face with the reality of your wrath, of your judgment, 
we, we cannot escape the horror of the penalty of sin that we find here in this passage. Though we try not to think about such things, though we try to run from, from the truth presented in your word, here we are today before your word. And so I pray, as I've prayed every week through this series, would you humble our hearts? Would you help us to be open to receive the hard things, to receive truth from your word so that we might respond appropriately, so that we might maximize the opportunity that we have here on earth to live lives that glorify you so that we could spend eternity in your glorious presence. Father, I pray that you would melt the hard heart today and cover Cover our sins in your grace and in your mercy, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are new today, that's a heck of a passage to walk in on. <laughs> but I promise this isn't a setup. <laughs> this, isn't, this, isn't, uh, in t- this isn't your loved one who invited you to come to church today saying, I really want you to hear this. They didn't even know what we were gonna preach today. We've just been going through the book of Revelation and as we go through God's word, which we believe this to be, as we go through God's word, we find difficult things, things that, that, that ought to shock us, things that ought to awaken our senses and get our attention because this is the reality in which we live. We live lives that have been given to us by a holy God. And he has placed requirements upon us for our life. And we want to talk about some of those requirements today. But first, let me kind of bring you up to speed. If you've been here with us, even if you've been coming every week, we've not preached every passage of Revelation. And so last week, we were in chapter 12. We skipped all of 13 and the first few verses of 14. And so let me let me kind of bridge the gap a little bit. Last week we talked about the birth of Jesus and how Jesus was sent to be not only savior but the ruler of all nations. And since that, and, and, and that story was introduced to us in this kind of fantastical language of the, the image of a woman and a dragon and the woman gives birth to a son and the dragon represents Satan. Well, in chapter 13, the dragon finds two new allies in his, in his war on God's plan of redemption. There are two beasts. There are two beasts that arise, one from the sea and one from the land. And these two beasts ally themselves with Satan to wage war against God's people. The second beast insists that the people on the earth receive a mark in order to be able to do business and to live life on the earth. Now, there are various ways of interpreting Revelation, and good Bible believing Christians debate over which is the best and, and most accurate way. And indeed, there's only really one true message of Revelation. But it's a tough book. It's a tough book. And so I, I've kind of been approaching Revelation. With this kind of picture in my head, if you think of concentric circles, circles within one another, sort of like a target, on the outer concentric concentric circle, you have the the safety of looking at Revelation and trying to pull from it things that we know to be true in a general sense. 
There's war between Satan and God. There's this birth of a savior. There's, there's the people of God are gonna experience hardship on this earth. So if you, if you stay in this outer circle, you can find lots of things in Revelation that are true, wonderful, powerful, helpful, important to know. And it's a safe place to be. The next circle in is those who are a little bit less safe and they want to find specific applications of the things that we see in the book of Revelation. And so they would say, okay, well this beast, there, there, must, be, there must be a person or a kingdom or some sort of ruler who's gonna literally insist that people take a mark upon themselves. Some sort of way of participating in society. And we can see how something like that could happen. In fact, if you got the COVID vaccine, you already have the mark of the beat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can see this. We're living in crazy times, but you can see how, you, you can see how we could end up in a real historical situation where you have to consent to something in order to participate in society. I, went, I, I got some Penguins tickets the other day and took my, son, my stepson and my daughter and some of their friends and some other folks and went to pay for parking. And you know, you gotta take out a loan before you go and pay for parking. Um, but I pull up to the gate and I offer the guy cash and he says, no, we don't take cash anymore, just credit cards. And then you go into the game and they don't take cash in the game anymore. They just take credit cards. And, and look, I don't care. That's very convenient. I, I don't carry a lot of cash. I prefer to use my credit card. I don't have a problem with that. But I looked at my stepson and I was like, dude, I mean, look how close we're getting to this place in history where you could literally, like, would it, we're, we're just a few steps. We're just a few steps away from being in a situation where you can't use cash. Not a problem as long as they take your credit card. But what if you get on some sort of blacklist? Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to spout conspiracy theories or get anybody any more paranoid than you already are. I do not fear such things. But you can see how we're just a few steps away from not being able to participate in such things. And so if you want to go, here's what we know, concentric circles, right? We know that, that Satan is influencing rulers and leaders in the world and that this world has lost its mind and that the, 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 the political structures of this world are at war with God. We know that, right? That's, that's observable, you can see that. Is, is this to be taken literally? Are you literally going to have to take a mark on your forehead or on, we don't know, that's the next concentric circle. You can say, yeah, probably, or you can say, I just don't know, maybe this is just a figurative way of saying it's gonna be hard for people who stay faithful to God to participate in the world. Then there's another concentric circle, and this is where a lot of sensationalist teachers who you see online or on TV live and, and, and really make their money. They are tying everything you see in the book of Revelation to something specific going on right now. You got Israel and Hamas at war and they're saying, this is it, this is prophesied in Revelation, this and this. All that. Well, listen, Israel has been at war throughout its entire existence. Could this be a significant battle that leads to the ushering in of the return of Christ? Yes, of course. 
And so could have the Crusades a thousand years ago where, where Christians and Muslims were literally killing each other on the Temple Mount. I mean, I'm sure people then thought, this is it. This is the book of Revelation. And so the further in you get, the less safe it is. And so I've tried to kind of stay out. I've tried to stay out, say, here's what we know. These things we can bank on. Here's some things you can be sure of. And so that's kind of how I want to approach this passage. And I say that because as we got, as we kind of got to the beasts here in chapter 13, and people are taking the mark of the beast. I know people have questions. Am I gonna be, am I gonna be pressured to take some sort of mark? Maybe, maybe not. You're certainly going to be, as you are right now, going to be pressured to disobey Christ and go along with the flow of culture. But there's good news, because in chapter 14, not everyone has followed the beast. Chapter 13 is about the world seems to kind of go along with the beast and people are worshiping the beast and, and under, you know, or they're just following Satan's plan, but not everyone does that. When we get to chapter 14, we see, again, this, this number of 144,000. We talked about that earlier in, in the book of Revelation. 144,000 have remained devoted to the Lord and have been marked instead of with the mark of the beast, they have been marked with the seal of God. The Bible often speaks of us being sealed by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. That does not imply a literal mark on our bodies. And so if we apply that principle, perhaps these aren't literal marks. They're just symbols that represent where our allegiance is. Either we, we are following the, the ways of this world influenced by Satan or we have devoted ourselves to faithfulness to the Lord. All right, that's a lot just to get where we're at. But in chapter 14, we're introduced to these three angels. And these three angels have an important message. If you have the handout in front of you that we gave you on the way in, um, I wanna encourage you to get that out, flip it over to the back, let's take some notes together as a way of following along with this message. The first message of the first angel is this, a saving response to the gospel is the only escape from the judgment of God. A saving response to the gospel is the only escape from the judgment of God. We're gonna look at verses six and seven. If you wanna jot down that reference, it'll be behind me on the screen here again. It says, then I saw another angel flying overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth. It, it, it catch this, in, the time, in this time of great despair, the, the nations have lost their minds and they're, they're, they're going in this awful direction of allegiance to the beasts and to the dragon. And then is this message from this angel announcing salvation, announcing the eternal gospel to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Listen to that message the beast, the first beast comes from the sea and people worship him. 
The second beast comes from the land and people worship him. And, and, and instead of that, this angel says, don't worship them. Worship the one who made that from which they came. Worship the creator of the heaven and the earth. Worship the maker of the seas and the springs of water. Anytime we bow down to or give allegiance to anyone or anything but God, we are worshiping the wrong thing. We have chosen to give our allegiance to the created instead of to the creator. And in this way, this angel reminds us, if you want to escape the judgment that is to come, listen, the, the next several chapters of the book of Revelation, God is going to pour out his wrath. There are bowls of wrath that are going to be poured out upon the earth for people's rebellion against God. And this angel comes with the good news. You don't have to be a recipient of God's wrath. Fear God, fear him now, give him glory now. Because the hour is coming, the hour has come. Worship the one who is worthy of worship. We just sang about God's worth of being worshiped. This is the correct response. In order to escape the judgment that is to come, one must appropriately respond to the gospel. This gospel, John has already made clear in his letter, or in his original book, The Gospel of John, wherein which he describes in detail how Jesus Christ, being the Son of God, came to the earth, died in the place of sinners like you and I on the cross, so that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. John told his readers, those who received him and believed in his name were given the right to become children of God. This is an important reminder that you either have the Son of God and have life, or you do not have the Son of God and you do not have life. God, the gospel, let's say, separates people into two really simple categories. The question is not whether you have done enough good to eventually earn your way into heaven. You haven't and you won't. The question is not are you, do you come from the appropriate bloodline of people who are special to God and inherit eternal life? He has done away with such things. The question is, how have you responded to the gospel? The question is, what have you done with Jesus Christ crucified? Amen. Your response to the gospel is the only hope that we have of escaping the judgment of God. And so this angel very graciously proclaims this over all the earth, imploring the people of earth to avoid the hour of judgment, to come and to take refuge in the Son of God. The next message that we see here in this chapter is that participation in the immorality of this world is rebellion against God. When we participate in the immorality, 
that is, that is being stirred up by none other than Satan himself. That's clear in the book of Revelation. And his minions and his vice regents and his allies who go along with him when we participate in that immorality, when we participate in the, the, the things of this world that are not from God, we are participating in rebellion. That is rebellion against a holy God. And that rebellion is punishable with his wrath. Let's look at verse eight. And another, a second angel followed saying, it has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. Next week, we're gonna talk about Babylon the Great. Again, concentric circles. The outer, the outer circle is, at the very least, Babylon the Great it represents the immorality of this world. Some, some go into the next circle and say that Babylon is gonna be an actual kingdom in the end times, perhaps an existing kingdom or another kingdom. And then some people go all the way in and say, it's, it's this. <laughs> it's, the, it's America, it's the Roman Catholic Church, it's whatever, they, all kinds of all over the board guesses as to who precisely Babylon the Great is. Safe to say that Babylon the Great represents the immorality that surrounds us in this world, calling us, beckoning us to come and to, to drink her wine, to, to drink her, to, to participate in the pleasures of her sin. But we're warned here. The angel makes clear this brings wrath. You cannot live according to the ways of this world, participating in all of the sins that this world glorifies and escape God's wrath. This is rebellion against him. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in, in Revelation and other places, other places in the Bible as well. Sometimes it's just referring to sexual immorality. Uh, I think here in Revelation it's, it's referring to all of, the, all of the unfaithfulness towards God that is included in the sins of this world. It's, it's being unfaithful to the one who created you, who provided for your salvation. It's infidelity. It's cheating on the God who offers you eternal life. When we do that, we participate in rebellion. The third message of this passage is that rebellion will bring God's wrath. It'll bring God's wrath. There's such a strong desire in today's mindset to, to have both. To have the safety of salvation in Jesus Christ and to have the pleasures of sin offered in this world. We, we, we make such, I mean, listen, grace is amazing and God's mercy is indescribable, but we make such a big deal out of his mercy that we take away people's desire or people's need to live faithfully before God. And what you need to see here from Revelation 14 is rebellion and mercy do not exist together. Rebellion brings God's wrath. 
Verse nine says in another, a third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which has poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Let me pause right there because there's, there's two different words here that wrath the, 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 the Greek word used for wrath here is generally used to describe just judgment. Wrath sounds emotionally driven to us, but really it's, it's more of just, just punishment. And a lot of times when the New Testament speaks of God's wrath, that's the word that is used. It's not necessarily, we're not necessarily supposed to get this this feel this force of emotional anger. It's just just punishment. But to make sure that we, we don't miss that in this instance, wrath is being mixed with another word that could be used to describe punishment, which here is translated as anger. We have here, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, his just punishment, which is poured full strength, not diluted, into the cup of his anger. This, in other words, we're supposed to feel the exponential impact of this is just not, you just, well, you'll get what you deserve. This is God is going to unleash the just fury of his hatred for sin. God does not treat rebellion as a little thing. Rebellion has inescapably marred his creation. Rebellion has led to the brokenness of the human race. I was just thinking, just this weekend was reminded of how broken our physical bodies really are. For about 10 years, I had a neighbor, when I lived in, in West Katina, I had a neighbor who just took incredible care of himself. And he's in his 70s at this point. And just the epitome of health. Just did everything right. And exercised, um, perfect, just perfect physical condition. Never saw the guy drink a soda or get fast food or anything. He just did everything right. And here in his early 70s, his mind is quickly descending, quickly descending into cognitive disarray. And he's becoming senile. And I'm like, dang, I'm over here eating burritos and drinking soda and everything. I'm like, what's gonna happen to me? <laughs> this is crazy. But you think, like, how many times have you, have you, have you not seen that? You're like, how did that person get sick? It's because our bodies are that broken. They're that broken. Is there benefit to keeping yourself healthy and all that? Yes, of course. Is that going to ensure that you stay healthy for the rest of your earthly life? Absolutely not. That's how broken creation is. And that is like, the smallest of our problems. Far worse are the things that we do to ourselves and the things that we do to each other. And you need to know that God has just wrath that is going to be 
poured into and stirred up and mixed around with his anger against the things that mankind has done to destroy his creation. This is how it's described. This is, this is one of the most horrifying things in the entire Bible. It, this is what it says of those who will receive this wrath mixed with God's anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast in its image, or anyone who receives the mark of its name. We are repulsed at this image that human souls will be subjugated to such suffering at the hand of a holy God. And the reason we have such trouble with this image is because we do not properly understand God's holiness. And we do not properly understand the wickedness of our sinfulness. There's no injustice here. Eternal torment? There's no injustice in that? That's right. One day we will behold God's holiness. That song, Echo, Holy, Holy. Well, I mean, think about that. Like in heaven, you'll just be like, He's holy! He's holy! I'm not! I shouldn't even be here! But He's holy. He's the one. He deserves all worship and praise and allegiance. We'll, we'll get it then. We don't, we don't necessarily get it now. Eternal torment? Yes. No rest day or night for those whose allegiance was toward the beast instead of towards the God who created them and gave them life. That is the ultimate rebellion. This is like if you were brought, you know, were brought into this world by our parents, and maybe this isn't a great example because none of us have perfect parents and all of us have some reason to rebel, but instead of loving your parents, you choose instead to love their worst enemy. And every day you flaunt your love for their enemy in their face. The love that you should give to them, the honor that you should give to them, the allegiance that you should give to them, you have chosen to give to their worst enemy. And you celebrate it and you show it off and you think they should just suck it up and deal with it. That times infinity is how offensive our rebellion is to God. So let me give you some practical things. This calls for endurance. This calls for endurance. That's where this passage goes. This calls for endurance in three areas. And I wanna get through these quickly because we have the 
exciting opportunity to celebrate baptisms here today, but there are three important areas that this calls for endurance. One, this calls for endurance in resisting the influence of this world. We must endure in resisting the influence of the world. If if you are a follower of Christ and you want to take this passage, this chapter, and apply it to your life, let me, let me encourage you in this way. We must endure in resisting the influence of the world. Verse 12 says, this calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. In the, in, in the, in the day that is described here in Revelation chapter 14, whether that is a specific number of years at the end before Christ comes or whether this is describing all of church history, in that day, those who, who keep God's commands and keep their faith in Jesus must learn to endure. We cannot, we cannot become weary to the point of shrinking back in the battles that we face against a world that is at war with King Jesus Do not be surprised that this world hates him and hates you. Don't be surprised by that. This is exactly what the Bible says would happen. Instead, focus on enduring and resisting the urge, the impulse, the influence, the desire to participate in the sinful rebellion of this world. I love Moses' example of this. Moses, you, you may or may not know, grew up, as, as part of Pharaoh's household. Though he was born as a Hebrew slave, he was adopted into Pharaoh's household. He literally, I mean, you could not have gone from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum more dramatically than Moses did. He was born to be a slave, to have nothing, to live a life of hard labor. And instead he gets adopted into this life of luxury. And this is how Hebrews chapter 11 describes Moses' reaction to this. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward Verse 27, and by faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. I love that passage. I love that passage because here's Moses. He could have enjoyed everything that the world had to offer in his day and age. All of the, what is described here as fleeting pleasures of sin. Instead, he considered it greater wealth to be a part of God's people. You and I, in the day and age that we live in, we must resolve to resist the fleeting pleasures that this world brings and instead consider it to be greater wealth, to be hated by this world, but to be a part of Jesus's family. And we must be content to do that. We must endure in resisting the influence of this world. I wanna give you two more points, but before I do that, if you're getting baptized during this service, I wanna go ahead and dismiss you so you have a few minutes to be changed. So those of you who are getting baptized, go ahead and get changed and get ready for baptisms. While they're doing that, let's look at the last two points here. 
This calls for endurance, not only in resisting the influence of the world, this calls for endurance in persecution. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, this is verse 13, I'm sorry, I didn't give you time to write down persecution. Go ahead. When it comes to persecution, we look at verse 13, then I heard a voice from heaven saying, write, blessed are the, are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. That's a morbid thing to say. Remember the Beatitudes that Jesus taught? Blessed are they and blessed are those and blessed are them and all that. And he lists all these things when, you know, if this thing happens to you, don't worry, you're blessed in the kingdom of heaven. But This is like the darkest of them all. Blessed are you if you die for Jesus. The very fact that the Bible mentions people dying for Jesus is shocking to the 21st century Western mind because we don't, we don't experience that level of persecution. Perhaps you are aware that some Christians somewhere do die for their faith still today, but it's not the kind of thing that you necessarily worry about happening in your life. But here's the point is that even if things get to the point where you are forced to choose between life or faithfulness to Christ, God has that covered. He already has a plan for that. His plan is to bless those who die for the gospel of Jesus. Now, this, there's an important distinction that, that I think is being highlighted in a, in a shocking way in our world today as we see what's happening over in the Middle East and, and some of that which is also spilling over into the streets of many Western countries. You may have seen yesterday outside in our nation's capital, outside of the White House, there was a massive protest um, calling for the death of Jews and all that kind of stuff. And you see, you see on the horizon that we might be entering into a time of greater persecution. It may become more common for people to have to physically suffer right here in the place that we live for Christ. Fortunately, we're not there right now, but we may be heading there. And the difference is, is that those on the other side of that, they feel compelled to kill in the name of their God. We're not called to kill for our God. We are called to lay down our lives. And that's an important distinction. In fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter one, he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work. That's what he means by to live is Christ. As long as I'm alive, I'm gonna do things that, that impact the kingdom of God. I'm gonna live my life for Christ. And, and that's fruitful. And he says, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ may abound. Paul lived in this tension of he had such a thorough understanding of what it meant to die and to be with Christ that he actually longed for that to some degree. 
but he also understood the importance of living a faithful life for Christ here on earth. Most, most Christians have no concept of, I would love to go and be with Christ. And they can only think of this world. We are called to live with this tension that if we die, we gain. But if we live, we live faithful and fruitful lives for Christ. I love what Thomas Watson said. He said, we must be willing to die, but content to live. Willing to die, but content to live. The third area of endurance that this chapter calls for is the endurance in gospel ministry. This kind of ties in to what we were just saying about Paul's tension between, I'd love to go be with Christ, but I'd also love to stay and be fruitful in ministry. We need to endure, especially as the world grows darker. We must endure in gospel ministry. The text says this in, in Revelation 14. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labors since their works follow them. The idea here is that when, when those who die in Christ die, the work that they have done for Christ multiplies as their reward in heaven. And what you have done here on earth for the kingdom of Jesus does not cease at death, but it has an eternal impact for the glory of God, for your good. Paul says to Timothy in, in, chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter four, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That means he's close to death. And the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. May we be counted among those who love the appearing of Christ. Jesus said in a parable, that he told about faithful stewards. Matthew 25, verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. We often say here, the words of C.T. Studd, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Brothers and sisters, these days call for endurance. We must remain faithful, even more so as our world grows dark. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, these, these chapters of Revelation remind us that faithfulness to the gospel is not for the faint of heart. We need spirit-enabled endurance. We need your help to remain faithful, to live lives of fruitful gospel ministry, to resist the influence of this rebellious world Father, you will send your wrath and your judgment and in that day, no one can stand. 
every proud and arrogant man or woman who says, where do I see God? I got some things to talk to him about. We'll fall trembling before you. Unable to utter a single syllable. May we who are alive today take heed and may we turn to the mercy and the grace of a crucified Savior who died to extend his mercy. The King who died for his enemies that they might become friends. Today may we turn to you for salvation and give ourselves wholly to living for you We ask in Jesus' name, amen.